1: the cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm savagepremium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. All right, welcome to this new podcast by me, myself, and I, Michael Savage. I'm changing it up. I'm not going to do politics today, and today's podcast is called Two Guys from Queens. I was interviewed uh, by John Tobacco for his show on Newsmax TV, and we got along so well together, I decided to interview him for my own podcast. He and I speak the same language. We're both from Queens. We had a similar upbringing, and he even announces during his interview that he's planning on running for Congress against that vile rat, de Blasio, and finally put him to rest. So sit back and enjoy this conversation as uh, we talk about life growing up in Queens, his years on Wall Street as a um, hedge fund operator, I think, and some politics as well. And then we follow it up with a piece from an old radio show of Jimmy from Brooklyn. And so I want to reach into the Savage Golden Vault and play for you a clip back from 2010. It's a long time ago. The caller is Jimmy from Brooklyn talking about Earth Day on Lenin's birthday. Not a coincidence, by the way. Did you know Earth Day was picked to be on Lenin's birthday? About Hitler being a vegetarian and how Jimmy meets other anti-communists. I think you're going to enjoy this. Two guys from Queens on the Michael Savage podcast. Thank you for listening and share this with five other people. In the world of today, do NYPD cops still act that way? Do they still do the barbecue and the sausage? I would
2: say yes, but I was going to tell you this. Our summer house was in a place called Midland Beach in Staten Island, right down on Father Capodano Boulevard, and right? Wow. And my grandpa and, and his brothers bought this plot of land with like six bungalows on it, okay? Oh, my God. Paradise. And they opened, you know, they pulled off the wood hinges in May. Painted the whole outside of the house, put out the patio furniture, and then you know Labor Day, <laughs> shut it down, go back to Manhattan, come back next year, right? Paradise. But we had this big yard,
1: paradise, all family, right? All family, all
2: family. My my grandfather, all his brothers, their kids, oh everybody. God, would... And we had a corner lot, right? You can never reproduce now, that. You'll never now, reproduce that. Never. This, you're right. But what they would do for fun, I'll never forget, because some of the guys were cops and they had brothers that were like up and coming wise guys, you know, like young men, like 23 year old guys. His brother's a, a motorcycle cop with the with the glasses and the high boots, like a badass cop. And then, you know, his brother's whatever he's you know, he's on the other side of the law. Right. But. Still very
1: magical, very, uh, very common in those days. By the way, hundred percent. My mother you know used, what to they used to say to me, "Do for fun? You know, John, listen. My mother used to say to me, it "Always, that was always." She'd read the daily news and give me a lecture based on a story. If someone did something, she says, "They're not Jewish." <laughs> if it was bad, I don't ah. know what the hell she was. I said, "I don't know what she <laughs> was doing it for." And then she would say, "How do you?" Then I went to college and became a wise ass myself. I studied psychology, so she would say to me, "Well, how do you explain, Michael?" that in the same family with the same mother and father, one becomes a cop and the other becomes a criminal. She was trying to say the parents had nothing to do with it, that it was inherent. Right.
2: What do you think? Uh, you know, I can tell you this, my childhood, what you just said to me caused like, you know, when you're, I like to think I'm a creative person because I don't just host wise guys. I'm the, I'm the executive producer. I oversee the edits. I set the shoot schedules for the week. Um, I've made documentaries. I've written for many publications. I like to think that I have a good creative mind. You just made like a old movie uh picture go through my head of like those backyard barbecues in the lot at my grandfather's house. And you know what we you know what they used to do for us for fun? If we were good, if we if, if we just played wiffle ball and didn't annoy them all day to play with them, you know, the kids are always like, you know, come play with us, come play with us. They, Shut up. We're playing cards over here. You right, know what I mean? Right. Right. If we didn't annoy them all day. OK. And these are cops, firemen, you know, you know, I I, I use this line a lot, uh, you know, as a shtick. Um, Red blooded Americans, with white picket fences and blue collar jobs. I love you it. understand what I'm saying? Good, cops, good firemen, sanitation men, plumbers, electricians, you know. My uncle, Dig, was a numbers runner for uh, for Lefty Guns Ruggiero. He went to all the delis in town and picked up all the numbers, brought it <laughs> back to the, right? So, but you know what they would do for us if we didn't annoy them all day? At the end of the day, they would take out, like, these three big, like, knit blankets, like big, giant beach blankets. and triple them up, right? And put it on. All the men would stay in a big circle, and they put – All right, you go. One of the kids goes in the middle, (laughs) and they all pick it up, right? And they tighten it like this, and they throw you up in the air. And then when you land, they let it down a little, and they throw you up again, right? And you just made it go off in my head that all we ever wanted when we were kids, we didn't even want to bust their balls while they were playing cards because all we wanted was for all the men to go around and pay attention to us for a few minutes And throw us up in the air and give us that that feel of excitement and exhilaration.
1: John, that's a beautiful story. And when you do the movie about those bungalows, (laughs) I will play one of the grandfathers playing cards on the table.
2: Love it. Love it. You could play my Uncle Rocky. My Uncle Rocky was, he was uh, in the printer's union, right? And he he had a. he was a, a pyromaniac. Like fourth of July was like the Gucci brothers probably saw what he used to do. He used to fly all this shit. He used to go to Pennsylvania. He used to go south to the border, uh South oh, Carolina. To get the fireworks? To, to get all the we had, he had to have the best fireworks show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And blew off his fingers one year, right? Oh, okay. But you you could play him, you could play him to the to the T. Wait, wait, we'll get the. Yeah, f- exactly, though.
0: exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Those were in my life. I mentioned it before. My dad was the president of the Little League locally. He was the president of the Pee Wee Football League locally. He was the head coach of the freshman football team at one of our local high schools. He worked his ass off, him and my mom both. Um, but always told me and my brothers make time and do whatever you got to do. To develop the youth, and you build character in kids through team sports. So support team sports. I'm telling you, we were raised on this mantra, Um, and you just, you know, other those years, right through all my little league years, like in the show, the wonder years. Um, That's like the wonder years of my life. To tell you exactly what you were talking about.
1: You you had like a magical childhood, John. By what I'm hearing, the emptiness of kids' lives today they're left alone. The parents, you know, they love them, I'm sure. But the family structure is gone. People have moved away. you got an Italian here, an Italian there. I mean, I know a lot of Italian people out here in California, they don't have that life. And they never had that life. And the New York Italian experience was very different than the San Francisco. And I met some wonderful Italian people out here. The restaurant, it was different. They had family and they were close. But I didn't get the fact that they had that knit that close knitness, that knitness, the knit that you're talking about, that that web that kept everyone together.
2: You know what? I gotta tell you, uh, all my aunts, my grandmothers, they were the most amazing cooks. Okay. Oh my god. And I'm gonna give you a little something of
1: food. The food out no, here. You just, so
2: you said, John, wait. The food out here is so was no Italian food. oh i know i know know. there's no food here
1: i know i I gotta tell the cooks how to make italian food
2: in the restaurant i go to you know what through this whole thing i hope we can talk for a few more minutes because i never disconnect from the universe like you were saying before you're on the phone and you get in a rabbit hole and everything i never do it you know what i mean usually i'll do like a Seven minutes soundbite promoting wise guys on Newsmax, and the minute I'm done, I grab the phone and I start going like this. I, I never it. just go off the grid, and I'm so thankful for you for giving it to me. This you're is you're able to more, just,
1: it develop, You know what's stuck in my mind so far of everything we talked about. We haven't even begun, really. You and I could do three shows, and maybe we'll do others. But John, that image of the the bungalows in South Staten Island. Is going to stick with me because it's a movie that has not yet been made. It's that really is once upon a time in America. No, that, it's,
2: that uh, movie? This is once it's upon part a time one. In America. It's part one. It's definitely one of the key stanzas in part one of my ode to my parents, which will be a book or a movie at some point, but I'm blessed with people that, continuously i saw struggles i saw them fight my father was such an entrepreneur he he would go down to the job lot i don't know if you ever heard of it the job lot odd lot in new york city so they'll sell like a case of like it was a way early costco right it was like a case of 50 jugs of hand cleaner the goop you know for five bucks you know the case you just buy it right out of the box 50 jugs for five bucks right then my father would put them, had all these odds and ends in the garage. He would put them in the garage, two open the carton, stack them up on top of each other, and say, Two dollars a can. Right? And all the neighbors would come over, Oh, John got the hand cleaner, two dollars. Right?
1: I don't want to even ask where he got the, the case of a hand cleaner. Did it fall off a truck? No,
2: there was a place in New York called Job Lot. It's like I'm all joking. the irregulars. My father,
1: my father used to buy trunks at auction, yeah, subway exactly. auction. Dang, unopened dang. trunks. John, listen to this one. And the most exciting time in my life was being taken off from school. They'd bring in all these lots. They'd buy these trunks that were left on the subway. No one knew what winning them. If they had opened them, nobody would want them. They were gambling. These were poor guys. So they'd spend 50 cents on this one. They'd spend $2. If that looked like a good trunk, a gambling, something was in. They would yep. bring him into my father's market late at night. I remember it was cold outside, like in the Godfather, the diner scene. And I'm shivering. There was no heat in the damn store on Ludlow street. And the men would open it up and there was 10 stores in one. John, one would say, hey, Betty, look what I found in here. And they pull out like a watch. They found that it was worth $20. And the guy paid yep. two for the trunk. This is a true story. Guys digging through the trunk. It was a nun's trunk. They didn't know whose it was. And they're digging through it, you know, pictures and a nuns habit. Yep. And he "Ah, oh, a bunch of garbage. What the hell did a nun own? I didn't know that I was going to get a nun's trunk. She had no possession. And on the bottom, it's a sad story, John. Wrapped up in like a Muslim Muslim cloth, she didn't know what it was. He unravels it with all the men looking, and he screams, "It was a fetus. It was called a, She had carried with her an aborted baby her whole life as her cross to bear. Would you understand?
2: Wow! But think about this power. I of thought this. we were doing good. What a Debbie Downer. No,
1: but okay, but there's dark and light, isn't there? <laughs> I gave a little shadow on the side of this fund. In, in a nun's trunks, so I'm saying, I understand buying an auction, selling this. Yeah, oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I'm saying my, my father was just, he was just a, a amazing provider.
1: You know who you and- remind me of? I got to tell you this. In my father's market, there was a guy, I'm not going to mention a real name. So my, these were poor guys that, that had stores. They would sell everything from antiques. Jobbers. To- Whatever. Called jobbers.
2: They're called jobbers.
1: They'd buy whatever like, the guy get, would they'd die. Go out, it's a like a guy flea would market. die, they'd go in and buy the guy's suits and whatever, you know, and it's like a be, flea market. Okay, and all the way up to antiques. So in the front, I had an uncle. He used to like to play gin Rummy. And he huh. he, he yelled. He yelled like, and one guy came in who looked like you. I'll say his name was Frankie. I knew his last name, and he was. Frankie was one of the connected guys who went around collecting stuff on the lower east side at the time. And he'd come into the market to relax, to play a uh, pinochle and rummy with my uncle. Yeah. And everyone knew who he was. They watched him with great respect. Nobody would disrespect dis- afraid to get killed. He was a tough guy. So my uncle didn't give a shit about anybody. He felt like this. They're playing cards. Ah, screw you, Frankie. Throw the cards that I and Frankie would laugh because he was he let his head down with my uncle Moe. And, and ah, screw you, Frankie! Like, and I said, "Oh my God!" I said to my father, "Does he know what the hell he's saying?" He is no, no. Frankie loves everybody, and he would never do anything, right? That's the <laughs> way it was. These people were very down to earth when they were around people that they felt comfortable with.
2: Oh, I'm gonna more. give you. I'm gonna give you something that could get me canceled. Okay. No, no, don't. But I, don't, I, don't, no, no I don't. I don't care. You're on my show. You heard how I talk. I'm sure you had the guys behind the scenes do a little homework on me. I don't care. I only look I up. I did two- Hey,
1: John, I did nothing. I had no one. Looking oh, okay. You I, I'm, telling I'm you.
2: straight up. I liked you and I wanted to do
1: your show. I'm, I'm, you know, Newsmax asked me what shows I wanted to be on. And I said, I want to be on John Tobacco's show. I said, I like him and we get along. We have good chemistry.
2: That's amazing. It's amazing. I'm, I was asking for you, too. So it's amazing. They made me wait 40 episodes. But by the way, we <laughs> <didn't, right? laughs>
1: you but, know, you want to take a snippet of a piece of this show that we did on the on the family, if you want, and run it on you as a segment on one of your shows. It's a hell of a piece of show.
2: I very mel- well may. And you said before, we, we may have two or three shows. Um, I hope. That I'm entertaining and amusing and informing your audience so good that you'll make me a regular contributor. once no, I stu- want
1: to see. Here's fun. what I'm going to do. I think this has been very good so far, very human, very interesting. We did a little politics, we did a little family, <clears throat> a little American history, a little of this, a little of that, and it's only pretty the-
2: amazing for uh, what appears to be just a regular Dopey goomba from Staten Island, right? <laughs>
1: Well, <laughs> oh, my friend, Stephen Paul, who who is a Hollywood guy who's made a lot of movies. Stephen and I, but he keeps telling me he wants to put me in a movie with Sylvester Stallone. As, he wants me to play a CIA agent. And he says, I just told someone you know very well. He said, the guy is like an actor. Why didn't he become an actor? He said, he is an actor. I said, I'm not an actor. I said, I do what I do. He says, I want you in my movie. So, John, let's do a piece on your show, okay? But before we break, at this point, and I know your time your time is short. My mother told me when I began on radio, God rest her soul, she said, you know, Michael, she said you shouldn't talk about politics, politics or religion. People get mad. My whole career was based on talking about politics and religion.
0: Michael Savage, a host like no other. Have you become a victim of the
1: timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well. Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over thirty five thousand families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares, and they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, you know, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over ten years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to icanceltimeshare.com. That's icanceltimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time, icanceltimeshare.com. Thank you very much i cancel timeshare.com John what's your opinion of Mayor Adams in New York yeah I can see the answer you don't have to finish
2: no well you know for as long as New York's existed if you wanted a New York City press pass you go through the NYPD public information bureau right okay. right so I'm I'm always standing up back the blue. I talk anytime I can say that I'm proud to be uh, NYPD son. Um, and when I went in there, no problem, JT, here go, we renew it, whatever you want. Um, starting January 15th this year, um, as soon as Eric Adams came in, he took that power from the NYPD and he brought it in-house to the mayor's office. Oh. So now Eric Adams has his own Politburo.
1: Oh my okay? God.
2: And you have to go to city hall now to ask them
1: oh so he took control of who gets to even get near him to ask him yes. a question
2: so oh, i goodness. just got my new one in january right right before he took over i figured yeah. let me at least get two years out of it yeah um so i've confronted the mayor in the street a couple times now okay and i'm going to tell you as one of the greatest Freedom lovers and a man who understands civil liberties and freedom of the press as good as anyone on Earth. Okay, there's a Asian woman is like the third person or fourth person to get murdered, hit by a hammer, thrown in front of a train, or some terrible end to their life on Earth um, in New York City since Adams takes office. Right? I I start doing some research and say, you know what? Uh, These it, they they never say these Asian things like hate crime. Like, well, what about the Asian folks? It I seems remember, like I, I know where you're going. People, I know
1: where you're going. Also, it's not done by white supremacists.
2: Yeah, homeless people or people who are slightly disturbed—they're weak at their core. That's what. They so say. they see a meek, unassuming Asian person. They figure, yeah, I'll throw this guy down the stairs or in front of the train because they're not going to resist. Mm. I think that's just oh, so my thought.
1: Wait, oh, that's important. So that's the psychology. It's not even racial. It's just a sign of weakness to, to me. I think well, it is
2: racial because they look and say, Hey, you know what? Those Asians, they don't, they're not gonna do nothing. They're little, they're standing there, you know. And I, I just think, you know, that I think it's one potential mitigating factor in the view, mind of a madman, right? So Yeah, but it's not there seems to be a racial component. Yeah, Almost. yeah. That, well, that's what I'm saying. They look at them and say they're Asian, but then also culturally figure they're smaller they're meeker they're they're not gonna turn around and crack me in the face they look at me
1: but john john we gotta we gotta look at this in the face i backed adams even though i was not in new york and i was only podcasting it didn't really matter uh not because the other candidates were so bad i figured as an ex-nypd captain and as a african-american guy he could get control of the violence in the streets amongst African-American males who were out of control. Instead, it got worse. Why did it get worse under him?
2: Well, you see, everybody except me and a few others, like my buddy Curtis Sliwa, who gave it his best effort. Um, but we are just outnumbered like six to one here, Right. It is almost a fifth year complete before you even walk in the door on on uh, running as a Republican mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> But I know because I'm the son of a cop and most of although my father's passed, most of the guys that I look up to are guys that he played on the NYPD football team with or he worked in narcotics when the NAP Commission was investigating them or guys that he worked with Serpico for a little while. Like oh, my wow. father was a legendary cop. OK, um, and I look up to all the guys we played ball with and softball and they drank beers and I still see him around. Wait a minute! You know what slow I mean? down.
1: This is John. This is a movie image I just got because you bring up <laughs> the NAP Commission. Eight movies went through my head.
3: That's about right. That
1: period. I, the barbecues with the sausages in the backyard. You grew a up mate. in that. You grew up in that world. The backyard cop barbecue.
2: One hundred percent.
1: Everybody in America wants to be a cop at a cop barbecue. Everybody uh, wants to see that ring of Italian sausages on the grill with like a fat guy with like hair on his arms. T- you know, flipping it with kids running
2: around and grandmother sitting 100%. there. That's your world. hundred percent. You want to know? I'm not going to I'm not going to say names. OK, but what I'm going to say is this. And this this I think is I'm going to give you one good story that I can only tell you because my father's dead. But I can tell you this. There would be uh, my family. We came from the lower east side of Manhattan, Nicobaca Village, one of the best places ever years ago, all Italian. Well, what street was that on? Cherry between Cherry and Monroe. My, my, da-
1: my dad's stores on Ludlow Street at Rivington. That's that's my little little a
2: fur, little further over. Um oh, but unbelievable. Remember where the old New York Post building was? Yes. That project right behind it. Those big yeah, I mean, red it, was a,
1: it was a project and people were poor in that project.
2: Correct? Yeah, you know, it, it it was like a, it was like subs not subsidized, it was like you got to break if you made a certain amount of money. There's a lot of cops flying right. in. Right. Got you know, well like obviously
1: town that. came in later, didn't it? A little
2: later, a little a little up from there. But <clears throat> anyway, we came from the low, the lower East Sides, and we moved to Staten Island. You know, my father was a cop, my mom was a private investigator. She worked for a company called Fidelifax. They did like wow. background checks back in the old days when you actually had to go knock on some neighbor's doors and say hey bob put you down as a referral uh, uh does he really live next door and yeah, how long right. Is he, right um so you know i had some amazing upbringing and at least understanding the the
0: investigative mind the savage nation it's savage on demand I want
1: to tell people how this came about because it's an unusual interview. You know, I've been doing podcasts and basically it's political. I want to talk about why I'm doing this today with a new friend of mine. It's a, John is a media friend. I call him a new media friend. Would that be fair, John? Media Anytime
2: f- you're calling me a friend, I'm happy.
1: John Tobacco, lifetime New Yorker, proud son of an NYPD officer, lives in Staten Island and has three beautiful children. And I met John as a guest on his show on Newsmax TV. I did one show a few a month ago. And we got along great. There was very good chemistry. And I said to the people at Newsmax, I'd like to be on his show more often because he and I sort of talk the same language. It's called, what's, what's the title of the show on Newsmax, guys? It's
2: called Wise Guys with John Tobacco.
1: Saturday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. And it repeats Sunday?
2: Sunday at 3 p.m.
1: You've been around the city a long time. I'm obviously a little older than you, but we, you know, it's like when I met Donald Trump, although a different. Worlds, he came from a rich place across Union Turnpike. I lived in the attached houses, but we spoke. We breathed the same air in Cunningham Park. We spoke the same language and we understood each other. That's the thing. I'm more like from his father's generation, John. You're much younger than I am, obviously. Uh, <clears throat> You've been on television for 20 years, but more than that, to me, is your knowledge of Wall Street. You're the founder of LocateStock.com. That's I'd, right. like to, I'd like to learn more about it because when I was on your show and we talked about short selling, I learned something that I didn't know. And uh, your knowledge of the markets is very important to me right now, especially the people listening to this show. You were a regular weekly contributor to CNBC. Great channel. Fox Business. Great channel and stuff like that and um, now you're on newsmax tv regularly you're a registered republican formerly vice chair of the new york state reform party i like that that's correct and you went to uh saint john's wasn't that in queens we used to be the red men
2: but you know chris mullen jason williams we were the red men saint john's red men now with the storm the red storm
1: but weren't, wasn't St. John's on Union Turnpike, that campus? Is that one we're talking about in Queens?
2: I went to that one um, my freshman year, but they also have a satellite campus in Staten Island. Um, wow. So I got, you know, I went to St. John's University, Staten Island campus, um, you know, on the five-year plan. I loved it so much that I hung around an extra year. <laughs> uh, but no, honestly, um, you know, my uncle... Dennis is a wall street legend. And, uh, um, he was ran the most profitable division of Shearson Lehman brothers uh, back oh. in the day when it was a proud institution. Oh. Um, and he also sat, you know, on the board cause American express bought them. Um, and that was Shearson Lehman American express. And he's on the board of uh, um, Shearson American express, um, and my father was a cop, I, and then he became a, a home builder, a, spec, a home speculator, buy a little odd lot. He had who, built who a your small da- house.
1: Da- your dad did.
2: My dad, after he retired from being a cop, is he still he with like, us? Is your father? No, still- he is not. No, we lost him. That's for another podcast. I have good energy today. I don't want to talk about that. No, no, way. I
1: hear you. I, I don't, want, I don't want to go to the grave either.
2: So, um, my, my dad, I, I had actually took the cops test, and I said, you know. I want to be like you. I want to be a cop. And then I'll learn how to build houses. And uh, he said, son, you don't want to be like me. You could be like me. You could be the president of the little league. You could be the president of the wee football league and coach kids and develop community. You could do all that. Your uncle Denny is a boss. Go get a job with him and follow him. Whatever mm. he tells you to do, shut your mouth and do it. Wow. And I remember as a kid, we, we have a little more long form i could tell you a, a, a true emotional right that's story. a beautiful okay. thing
1: there's no interruptions
2: here so i i remember as a kid thinking to myself a hey, 17 18 19 you know somewhere in there wow what kind of father hears that from their son and says mm-hmm. don't follow my footsteps there you know, I, I didn't understand yet. You know what I mean? I was a kid like, wow, I hope one day my kid says, "I, Daddy, I want to follow in your footsteps. And I said, and he said, no, go over there, <laughs> you know? And um, but, you I follow his have, advice. I have
1: a son who I told him, never follow me.
2: Yeah. Because
1: it's a dead end, the media. That's number one. It's yeah. A dead end. My I father
2: thought, said that, too. He I said, said the what, cop I'm in, job.
1: what I'm in is a dead end. Do your own thing. And he became a very successful businessman because right. I know he, he had it in to do anything he wanted. What the hell did he want to do radio for? Right,
2: yeah. right, right. Well, this was, listen, 35 years ago, okay? And there was a period towards the end of my fall's NYPD career, he had discovered, you know, buying fixer-up houses in Staten Island and he would do one, get a few guys from the cops and they would all throw in a few dollars and then fix it up. One guy did sheetrock, roofing, this, that and sell it they all make five thousand a piece oh let's go buy two more right. you know so he was kind of just learning then um and he said to me he "Said uh i'll never forget this is 35 years ago when cops were allowed to be cops okay he said yeah. the cop job is becoming a bum job everybody's a rat internal affairs is all over the place that this is 35 years ago wow. okay and he said the contracting thing you make good scores." But you got to chase these contractors to show up. Then they want to chase you to pay them early for work they didn't even do yet because they wow. got to pay their workers. It's nothing but a grind. Your uncle's in a key spot, and you should be smart. You're the first kid in the family going to college. You go from college to Wall Street. And I'm telling you, you put all your effort there. I'll be so proud of your son. And and my uncle was a boss, and I took it, and I went to Wall Street, and I went 7 a.m. class, 7 to 9.30, they let me come in an hour late, and then I used to get into Manhattan on the express bus 10:30. I would work till 4:30, a half hour plus close five o'clock, and then I had seven and nine p.m. classes. Okay, you went, you went so to night I worked full
1: night school,
2: full time. Okay, and they gave me an hour leeway because my uncle was was big shot. Um, but I held my weight. I worked hard. I stayed late. Are you still an active trader? On, on on Wall Street? Uh, I mean, you know, you in the I don't I don't I don't. Uh, give anyone financial advice, but you're not on the floor. No, I've never worked on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Got it. But um, know, the
1: other day, John, you said to me something that was intriguing, and I kind of know it a little bit. I'm going to tell you about it in a minute, about how I got screwed once in a in a cocoa market in. Uh, what do you call that market with cocoa and stuff?
2: commodities futures commodities yeah. i
1: was young i had a little bit of money like nine grand and i'm talking 40 years ago as my life savings and i was studying botanical stuff and important plants and i knew that cocoa would go up i put my life savings into cocoa futures because i knew they'd go up listen to this john you'll love this story i wrote about it called uh, some of the speculator in a garden of numbers i put all my money my life savings and i was a young guy you know And all of a sudden, I called a broker. I was in Hawaii living at the time. He was in New York. And I see that I'm losing money. I said, what the hell happened? He said, oh, I made a mistake. He said, I put you in a short position. I swear to God, he screwed me. I swear, this is what he did to me. And I couldn't get out of it. I lost my life
0: savings. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Could you explain to people what short
1: selling is? Okay.
2: This is a interesting phenomena, and folks out there. Um, I was talking about uh, American express before folks out there may know the name. Dr. Patrick Byrne. He was the founder of overstock.com, the company overstock. And his dad was the CEO of Geico. Uh, and Warren Buffett is his godfather. Mm. Um, and my business for years is called something that no one's ever heard of probably even you doctor um securities lending they call it stock loan okay so um basically short selling means you know when you see that great uh, those great photos and sculptures of the bull and the bear Right. Yes. That's this is a yes. way to pe- regular right. people up can understand down, up
1: it. and down. Bull is so, up, but is yeah, down.
2: the bull and the bear represents people who thinks the market is going up. That's the bull. You know what I mean? And then people who think the market's going down, that's the bear. And if you don't have buyers and sellers that every microsecond of the day, everything collapses. So mm. every time there's a buyer, there's one willing and likely seller. Right. That's got to that's got to happen. So. And uh, I love this podcast. I'm so glad. I, w- I want to intervene one minute. I'm going to put a pin right there. I remember driving in my car. And I have told you this. I've been an aficionado of yours. I emulate little things that the way you deliver, the way you take uh, com- comedic and dramatic pauses. And people have to understand that you're not thinking for your next thought. You're letting them think about what wow. you just said. Um and you know I have other favorites, uh, but you know you're to me a legend. There's okay, as long as you
1: don't mention their name, I'm fine. You see what I did
2: there? <laughs>
1: I, I got it. I covered
2: yeah. my. Can I? I got a- you. Didn't you almost mentioned the name and you didn't? I caught it. I, exactly. I caught okay. it. Um, <laughs> so I remember driving in my car, and you were giving your swan song that day. Oh. I forget if maybe you were on 710 in New York. What were you on in New oh, York yes. then? Yes, yes. You were on 710 WOR, I think, right? In New you know York.
1: You mean when I finished radio? My radio career?
2: At when 10, you said you're going podcast. I home. believe I was
1: on ABC at the end.
2: I okay. Was, All right. Maybe you were on 77. Uh
1: yeah, it was it was ABC at the end. It was owned by Cumulus.
2: So um I remember listening to that, driving in the car, The Longest commute in America from Staten Island, New York to downtown Manhattan, like 11 miles, 90 minutes. Right. Yeah. Uh, not kidding you. Longest commute in America. Fact. Department of Highway. If Pete Judge <laughs> can pull himself away from, you know, his baby daddy duties, Um, check out some of his stats. Staten Island's like number one. But I was listening to you in the car. And you were explaining why. You love what you do, and you feel like you made a mark on, you know. I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting, but I remember thoughtfully that um, now there's a new frontier. There's new marks to make, and I shouldn't have to be compartmentalized into telling everybody exactly how I feel about exactly and process it all between one and two or two and four. I don't remember what your time was. Um, okay. And now I can do a podcast whenever I want. If I want to talk to my friend Johnny T, my favorite Paisan, for 45 minutes, I can. And if news breaks at four o'clock, I don't have to wait until tomorrow to talk about it. And right. I, right. I have been embracing digital media for, for years. Huh. Um, but when I heard you talking about it, I was like, I'm on to something. Because if this guy knows and he's going early, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm in the right direction. And you, you, you inspire me in a lot of ways, even by listening to you that day and say, that's what people are going to want they don't want Johnny T from 10 to 10 30 on Saturday night. They want to know what I'm doing on Tuesday afternoon. If I want to talk to him and you're the best at it. I thank you so much in the team for, you know, having a home and home series. I had you yesterday and mm. you have me today. And it's a, it's an honor. I always looked up to you. when I had you on the count that night, I was so thrilled. You actually complimented me on my understanding of wall street. Um, but I, I want to continue, but, you can intervene anytime you
1: want. You no, know, I'm listening. You know, this is a conversation, obviously. We're, we're conversationalists. We grew up in a world of conversation, which is dead. It's a dead art. People don't even understand what conversation is. What we're doing is conversation with verse. And I once read a Chinese philosopher who said the object of conversation is to keep it going, not to cut the other guy off. And what's happened in our society is if people talk at all, they do it to get over on the other person and shut them up, shut them down, close them down, and not hear a thing they have to say. No one's listening, John. Have you noticed the change in communication in America as I have, where people don't want to hear
2: anything anyone says? You know, um, I want to go back to short sound because I want your audience to start <laughs> to understand so this. Focused. But,
0: <laughs> but I
2: because I, well, I want your audience to understand it because honestly. You referred before and said, "Hey, you went on. You were on CNBC, then you are on Fox Business and Fox News. It's been 20 years. You know why? You already know. I didn't go to Harvard, okay? And early, early on in my career, I decided I don't want to get rid of my New York accent. Thank you. And my tobacco is my real name, yeah. and I like wearing fancy Italian pinstripe suits. So I'm just going to go with it, and I'm going to work my ass off, uh, despite those limitations, right? And when Tyler Matheson, okay. I don't know if you know him, but he was like the anchor man at CNBC for like years. Now he's like their, you know, editor in chief or something. But I Tyler Quote.
1: To, John, I only listened to CNBC recently. I had never really watched an I wasn't into finance for years. After that time I got burned with the short sell, I never invested a nickel <sighs> in anything ever again except houses in, in California. You're
2: probably the better for it.
1: Housing in California so far so good, but we know what's coming, right?
2: So let me just say this. My uh, Tyler called me, he said, JT, you know, this, the market's crashing. It's maybe like, you know, I was having a, a rough couple months. And uh, he said, everybody's saying that there's short sellers in the market are really having a field day with this thing. And, you know, like you're like the only guy I know that that really knows this. We need to do these bull bear segments We need one guy who thinks the market's going up. One guy thinks the market's going down. He said, none of these big short sellers out there, they don't want to go on TV and say they're short because then everybody gets ticked off and thinks, well, oh, this guy wants the market to go down. So they were kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for someone who would be the bear, you know what I mean? And and come on, because you don't usually like, brag about betting against everyone else you know what i mean you kind of just but, but stand did, you there. Take
1: that, did you take that role you
2: i know, sure the, did
1: all right so we, we heard of we heard of <laughs> sorry we heard of sammy the bull so we're gonna call you john the bear
2: yeah i love that i love that that's amazing well let me tell you something all my friends okay and there are many reasons why they are endeared to me in perpetuity. So whatever I do, there's no way they can hurt me uh, financially because th- because I provide a service to them that no one else can. And I know it's unique and I know I work my ass off at it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go with it. How else is Johnny T going to get on national television? CNBC wants me to be the bear. I am the bear.
1: I
3: got so it. So
2: let's do it. So I started going on and hitting on him, you know, and saying, hey, I know uh, Bill Gross over there from you know, Pimlico Raceway or Pimco or whatever the hell he he runs, I know he says he sees a light at the end of the tunnel because he's, you know, friendly with the administration and stuff like that. If you ask me and my friends, that light at the end of the tunnel is a freight train running straight at the American economy because auto debt is over-processed. Home equity and finance is over. Because the government is stimulating, the, the banks don't have to report their failing mortgages and their, fa- and their failing uh, credit card defaults. So that's all hidden in the background. And next year, I see Lehman Brothers, maybe next month I see Lehman Brothers at like $15. It was like $50 at the time, right? And the CNBC crowd, <laughs> Dylan radigan, <laughs> right? All of a sudden, it started to blow up. Yeah, People were saying, you know, Johnny T's like, he's exposing the secrets. And then when Obama came in, ready for this? Now they know what I am. But they were loving that they had like this street talking guy. And I actually, I'm not saying I was always right, but knew what I was talking about. Right. And they liked it. And I was giving them the short perspective. My God, I called Bass Dernst to zero. Fannie made the zero. Freddie Mac to zero. The CNBC, their head was blown. They sent me to the Democratic National Convention as their, you know, business correspondent to, you know, talk to people about how the economy is going to be under Obama. He was going to he was getting ordained or, you know, what do they call it, coronated. That time. And as they do it, the market's getting crushed, right? This is right, right, right before the bank president. So I'm calling my friends. What are you doing? What's happening? And everybody said, this guy, Obama, he's going to be the president. They're going to want to do affirmative action. Everybody's going to vote for the new black president. He's coming in off. He couldn't even win a Congress race. He was a state senator. They shoehorned him in with Belairs into the Senate seat. Now he's going to be the president. This guy never had a job. Much like you talked about Federal. Well, look what he's
1: done to the country. We're still recovering. And now they're doing it again. It's happening again.
2: Trump pulled up David Blaine and Houdini combo on yeah. turning the economy around like do you he did know, after you know the damage
1: John, John, do you know
2: Trump? You know him well? I don't know him well. I know uh, Kimberly and Donald fairly.
0: Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation.
1: I want to ask
0: you before we end this first
2: in a series that I hope. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll do whatever you want.
1: You're a Catholic, correct? Are you a practicing Catholic or a lapsed
2: Catholic? Uh, I would say I'm a devout Christian. Um, one of my mantras is, you know, you need faith to be anything. If you don't got that, you got nothing else. Um, mm. Next thing you need after that is family. And right now, what's going on? You got to get your family, whether you're arguing with them, mad at them, this, that, the other oh. thing. Grab them, hug them uh, and hold the family close. And if you got your faith and your family, you got the only two tools you need to go out there and fight, fight for your freedom. So. Wow. Like I'm, um, I'm Christian. I've had some run-ins with the Catholic Church that are probably for a whole segment that yes. I don't love. Their, I don't like. I don't love their pomp and circumstance while they bald-faced lie to you and say we can't acknowledge gay people, but yet we've been hiring gays and child molesters our entire career as a dominant global organization. So like, either be, either say, hey, we understand. You know, I'm not flying the rainbow. I am flying the rainbow flag, meaning like, I don't care what you are. I'm a libertarian. You introduced me as a Republican. If you want to be in the political discussion in New York at, at all, you got to at least be a Republican. Um, <laughs> but I'm really a libertarian. And um, you want to be gay? Be gay. You want to smoke weed? Smoke weed. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's where my mind says. So I'm like kind of Ron Kubi on, uh, on on social issues. You know, and you, you you know Donald Trump ultra MAGA on conservative issues, Um, but it's just like where where we live, it's really hard to be ultra MAGA.
1: You, uh, you, ultra MAGA, of course. You, try, you try it you. where I live in San Francisco. So oh my
2: God! I yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, you're, we're like second to you. I'm
1: probably. an a, I'm an outcast. I'm an outcast. Uh, I meet I meet people all the time who say. They'd whisper to me what their politics are. And I said, what the hell are you whispering? You're not living in the Soviet Union. You know, <laughs> I know. I said, I, I, I want to give I mean, <laughs> you
2: I want to answer two questions because I segued. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but no, I don't know. You
1: did religion. You did religion. You did religion. Uh, you did religion.
2: Yeah. But here's the thing. To me. You asked me if I'm a Catholic. OK, I was raised Catholic communion. This, that, the other thing. Right. Um, My kids all went to Catholic school, okay? Okay. My daughter, my daughters went to St. Joseph Hill Academy. My one daughter went to Seton Hall. God bless her, Victoria. She's a nurse now. My Uh other daughter went to St. Joseph Hill Academy. Now she goes to Marist College, which is a liberal but still Catholic Christian value college. Uh, And my son goes to Monsignor Farrell High School. Um, I raised my kids in the Catholic tradition. I personally have deviated from Catholicism because of some experiences that make me because I'm more of an analytical person than a spiritual person just humanly. It. Um and I think they lie to I think they lie to their constituents and and I would do better on that front, me personally. So I choose no, I to- only ask it because I
1: look I have in my hand something I look at before every show. People don't know this. My grandmother gave this to me at 13 <laughs> years of age and she was an atheist from Russia. She gives me a little prayer book, a Jewish prayer book. And people don't know that sometimes a minute before a Newsmax show, I sit and read a prayer to myself like this. I don't show it off and wear it like a badge. I will sit and read about God and God's strength and God's with me. And what I do is I hope I tap into the power. To me, religion is not so much about God telling me I did this wrong or that right. It's about I want to know about the divine power that comes out of God and every religion, John, that I've ever met, whether it be in Fiji or in Samoa Every religion, Native American religions, they're all tapping into some power at the core of that religion. And the further away the power connection goes in the religion, the further people go away from the religion. So if the religion is no longer giving someone a feeling of strength when they go in that church and they come out weaker than when they went in, they're not going in there anymore.
2: A hundred percent. hundred percent. You know what? Philosophically, I believe there's a higher power out there. This is my argument. When I argue with the green folks, Oh, oh wait, we're using too much hairspray um, and cows are farting, and that's gonna that's gonna affect the universe. We're the speck on the speck on the mo- on the molecular molecular to tachyon 8th, uh ball of a fleet in the universe, and we're gonna change the weather by you know too much hairspray and plastic straws. <laughs> right? you know what I mean? Give me a break. Right? <laughs> oh, I get it. I really believe. I really believe this, that I believe in God. I put that faith and power first in my life. But I really believe if you wake up every day and you're telling, whether you are or not, you're going out there and you see this whole sea of black stuff that you don't want to even deal with today, but you see like two spots of white stuff over there, acknowledge them. I know I got to deal with that, but fight your ass into those white spots and they will widen. And you have, I believe that Christ makes all the ultimate decisions, but you can, the universe can give you some energy back if you go out there and stay positive and follow positive paths and you widen the white and while acknowledging it, not ignoring it like you're stupid, but you know, you got problems there and you got to tend to them here and there, but spend almost, if not all your energy, energy expanding the white. And you will. It's a beautiful lessen the- image,
1: John. It's a beautiful image. It's as beautiful as the uh, bungalows that your grandpa.
2: I love it. I yeah. love. This is amazing for me. Widen the wait.
1: Widen the white is a title. We could call this podcast "Widen the White."
2: Go ahead. Make- Hold on. I- I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think. Okay, <laughs> this is my own interpretation. I've never heard anyone else interpret it like this. Okay, I think. And I'm going to give you a huge piece of breaking news right before you throw me off. Okay, (laughs) if you take a look at the yin yang sign. okay, think about visualize the yin yang. If you're on the white side. Right. There's a little dot of black. Right. And the mindset is. We're in the light, but there's always a little black swan floating around out there. Don't forget about that. Don't think you're ever 100 percent in the white. Right. And the other side is all black. With a little white dot, right? Right? I'm, 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 you didn't think you were going to get any philosophical discussion out of me today, oh, but yes, I did. Okay, well then, you just, thank God for you. But if you're in the black and you're walking all around focusing on the black, you will never see light. You will never see white because you're looking all into the black, which is the cosmos. There's not, there's nothing out there for <laughs> light years, right? And if you turn around and acknowledge, oh, there's a little white dot there. What the heck is that doing? And that's your little oasis in the desert to say, whatever that white is, I got out of bed today. The last three days I was in bed. You say, I'm going to get out of bed tomorrow and make it four in a row. That white starts getting bigger. And at some point, you jump the scene to the other side and you're in the white with the little spots of black. I think that's my. I think that's my philosophical uh, understanding of yin yang. Is
1: that your uh, is that your own interpretation of that yin yang? I've stuff? never heard
2: anyone else say it's it. Beautifully that's put. I, did you ever hear anyone else say no, it? No, like I never
1: heard it described that way. And 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 I'm telling you, it's a very important concept. Um, you know, we can go on again. You and I keep talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you yeah, ask would, me back, I, I would say the, the Chinese writer Lin Yutang wrote "This Earth, the Only Heaven." Once, I never forget that one. And some days I wake up and I say, oh, what the hell did I do with my life? Sometimes I made a mistake. I don't have the people around me I'd like. I don't have family and friends. You know, my, my son is here. My daughter's there. My granddaughter's there. I don't see anybody. Where did I go wrong? Why am I not with people? Why am I not? And I'm remembering my childhood, right? And then I look around and I say, do you realize God gave you everything you ever dreamed about? You like to be alone. You like to feed the seagulls right off your deck. You like to talk to the birds, for example. <laughs> I, I like to watch the birds. I, I like the birds and I like the loneliness in a way of the long distance runner. John, this is so incredible. We could go on forever. I know you got a busy day ahead of you. I love you. Politics, I do politics, religion, family. So John tobacco, let's make this the first of many.
2: I was going to do this on Monday, but I'm going to give it to you. And whatever happens happens. I don't care. I have no intention of. I, I ran for New York City comptroller last year just to keep the candidates' feet to the fire as a liberal. I saw that, okay. And I have way more skill in my pinky finger than the current comptroller of New York City, who's a defund the police, Black Lives Matter. Oh my liberal. God! Doesn't know his ass from his elbow. He's okay. managing
1: the money of New York.
2: Brad Lander is bomb. He's a progressive bomb. Oh. Okay. I had no intention of running. I love Newsmax. I love my job. I love my family um when i heard bill de blasio on the new drawn redrawn lines is now I announced running again. for cd 10 uh jerry jabatahut nadler's former uh oh. former district um i filed today uh michael with the uh, federal election commission for my campaign committee jt for nyc um and I'm officially going into the race for CD10 to go head-to-head with Bill de Blasio. And I am going in as a one-issue candidate. Don't ask me any – you can ask me anything you want. I'll answer falsely. You know that. Look how long I talk. But um, I am going in as for one reason and one reason only. Seeing firsthand what Bill de Blasio did to New York City. There is no possible way I'm going to let that do to the United. I'm not going to let him do that to the United States of America. And I am just personally joining the fight for one reason: to beat Bill De Blasio and put him in his political grave.
1: Oh, I hope That's so. It. What he did. That's it. About, what is he running for, De Blasio? He's running for Congress. He didn't do enough damage in New York City.
2: Well, I had no intention of running, but I just filed yesterday. Um, waiting to see what he said. Now that he announced today on MSNBC Morning Joke, um, I'm in the race. And I'm going to honestly, he's like he's like Jason. He's like Freddy Krueger. He just keeps coming back in the horror movie. And somebody's got to put him down once and for all. I'm hoping that'll be me. We back you a thousand percent.
1: John Tobacco, what an honor and pleasure it has been to have you on the Michael Savage podcast. And I hope to see you again on your television shows on Newsmax TV, which we'll announce again uh Saturday nights 10 p.m Eastern 7 p.m Pacific and then again Sunday 3 p.m Eastern uh, and noon uh Pacific and we'll have many many shows ahead with God's will and of course we'll both dance in the light together and pr- and let's give the people some light John there's very little light out there there's a lot of darkness.
0: thank you, you right. so much for being with me
2: today. thank you sir thank you I you now.
0: Michael Savage, a host like no other. I'll take a call. Jimmy in New York. Oh, Jimmy
1: lad, What's on your mind, Jimmy?
3: Yes, uh, somebody put our last talk on YouTube. It was very interesting.
1: So, why, why, when you and I talked about Marxism and Obama?
3: Yeah, but we had the long talk. Somebody put it on YouTube. Jimmy from Brooklyn on the Mike Savage Show.
1: You know, Jimmy, I was thinking of creating a, um, a think tank, and I would hire you as a resident scholar.
3: Oh, I'd love that. I'd work with you anytime, Doc. I'd be a
1: hundred. Well, you, could, you could write position papers. We could become as important as the Heritage Foundation in time.
3: Well, Heritage Foundation has no competition. I think that's wrong because they missed this whole Marxist uh, situation. We're the in
1: Heritage now. Foundation does very good work, but they're kind of like uh, conservative light. They're sort of decaffeinated conservatism.
3: Right. Anyways, There's nothing wrong me. with decaffeinated
1: conservatism, but I actually like, I would like some caffeinated conservative think tank. Jimmy, would you work for the, for the group?
3: Oh, definitely I'd work with you anytime.
1: What would you do, stay in Brooklyn, though? You don't want to move to San Francisco, do you?
3: Uh, Lennon, Cisco, no. I need to stay in New York for various uh, reasons. There's a lot happening here I can't miss, plus family and my other work and whatever.
1: But all I right, calling- No, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't give you the job yet. No, don't worry, the tickets haven't been sent. So what are you calling about today?
3: Well, Thursday is Lennon's birthday, so how
1: Lenin, Soviet... you mean not John Lennon? You, know, you don't mean John Lennon. You mean Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, correct?
3: Right, Vlad. Right, the Soviet Lenin. That's what uh-huh. Earth Day is about. It's another excuse to push us toward world government. So you have the one movement, the army tanks. Right. Why
1: day... did the Earth Day founders, who are all left wing, all communists, by the way, why did they pick this day?
3: Because Lenin's birthday.
1: You think they... that it's coincidental, or they did it on purpose?
3: I don't think it's coincidental at all. Uh, Why don't you do
1: what? You're an expert on Soviet communism, Jimmy. Do you know anything about Hitler's Nazism and how it was connected to the green movement of its time? How, in fact, came to power in part on promising a return to the earth?
3: Well, he promised a lot of things. I'm not sure about the environmental part as much, but sort of the pagan earth type thing. He he, Hitler was all about.
1: Remember that. that the Hitler Youth was sort of the Boy Scouts of his time. Even though I'm a former Boy Scout, which was certainly the greatest organization I ever belonged to. The German Hitler Youth was much different than the American Boy Scouts in that it was a militaristic organization. But the fact is, is that he promised with the lederhosen and the boys and the locker rooms and the towels. This was long before Rahm Emanuel. I mean, they were already, you know, yodeling already in the back room with each other with a blonde hair with the blue eye. So this is way before the scandal in the churches. They were already doing it, even though they were Nazis. I guarantee you, the boys were being abused.
3: Well they took showers together, one of their commer- advertisements to join the Nazis was showing them washing each other's back in a shower and there's no way
0: mm,
1: yeah, that, that must have worked how that worked out
3: <laughs> uh, but the point is is that he
1: promised to uh, to end, end the industrialization of Germany, which was polluting the the fatherland. I don't think many people know that. he was a vehement greenie Adolf. Adolf was a greenie He was also a vegetarian. He was a vegetarian, right? And he also didn't drink alcohol. Did you know that? No. He was I a didn't. teetotaler, a vegetarian, and a, and a back to earth movement kind of guy. And he created the, the most despicable, racist, monster machine the earth had ever seen since Genghis Khan.
3: He provided government jobs, health care, and housing. So that's, that's a way to get the population. You know, it's
1: interesting you should say that. I've actually studied, I have an entire library of books on the Third Reich. And what amazed me is that he came to power largely on jobs. And on hope and change did you know that yes yes hope change and jobs people didn't join the Nazi party so much because they were racist they joined for a job the country was bankrupt and he gave them a government government job along the lines of uh, you know
3: who they also feared the communist movement that just murdered 10 million people in Ukraine 32 to 33 so he exploited that fear and gave them basically uh, the same kind of movement only led by germany as opposed to led by the soviets so it shows well, jimmy,
1: you how- Jimmy my friend if i do create the savage policy center you'll hear about it first in the savage nation and you'll be getting a set of air tickets on uh, on your on your birthday which will not be lenin's birthday <laughs> i'm close, <laughs> though hey if i can make jimmy from brooklyn laugh this is actually a seminal day for me, Jimmy. I got a laugh out of you. How is that? Why
3: do you feel light
1: today? What is it? A spring day in New York?
3: Well, my birthday is May second. I missed by one day. May Day, May first.
1: Oh, how do you? How do you, an anti-communist, celebrate your birthday?
3: Uh, just with family and friends. No, you don't, don't be,
1: burn uh, pictures of Khrushchev or anything like that.
3: No, no, I'm blessed with some very good anti-communist friends from Cuba, China, Vietnam, Ukraine. We have a good little... You're
1: a lucky man. How do you meet each other? How do you meet all those people?
3: Well, I've been active in this like 45 years since I was a little... No, but
1: I'm saying, but like, do you have meetings, like anti-Bun meetings? I mean, like, how do you meet each other?
3: Well, April 30th is Vietnamese Memorial Day, you know, and uh, so I meet people by being active.
1: Well, they suffered terribly under the communists, the friends of Jane Fonda. And half the administration. You, no how many Vietnamese were killed by Jane Fonda's friends after the U.S. troops were driven out by Walter Cronkite and the U.S. press?
3: Oh, I, I don't have a number, but they never. Fought. One million were killed.
1: I have a friend who was a paratrooper in um, in uh, in the Vietnam era, and when they landed in Hue, you know the, the Flower City, the ancient city of Hue, mm-hmm. they went in. They went in to help uh, re- retake the city from the communists who had taken it over. And he told me that he's haunted to this day by the memories of when they were trudging through the soil of the city. One of his friends stepped on what he thought was a tree root. You know, they were, they were hunkered down and marching into the city to fight in, 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 a, in a battle. And he said he looked down and it wasn't a tree root, it was a hand. That when they started to dig in the trench, it was a mass grave. Uh, the friends of Jane Fonda and half the administration had killed all of the intellectuals, meaning the doctors, the lawyers, the civil servants... The police chiefs, anybody with eyeglasses was killed by the communist Chinese when they took over the city of Wei. Does that ring uh, true to you, Jimmy?
3: Uh, pretty much. I, I know that Wei, most of those people were on lists. Their names were already taken in order to be murdered. So it wasn't just where they went in and they just mass killed. People were specifically taken and killed. Communists take names. They have names of people to be killed when the time is right.
1: And Do I you believe- think that the Obama administration is keeping lists of names for the time when the time comes to give them blessings and flowers.
3: Well, it may not be him, but some, uh, some of his supporters may be do. You and I would probably be on that list right at the near the top, if not the top.
1: Yeah, I would think so, and I would think that um, they'll have a nice uh a platinum microphone waiting for me in the internment camp. <laughs> <laughs> See, Jimmy, the thing is to keep laughing in their faces because I hate their guts. Jimmy, there's nothing I hate more than thugs and murderers. And I hate people who hide behind politics when they're really just mass murderers. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.